0: Today, we are talking about mass incarceration. Now, why am I doing that? Because I look around the world today, often wonder to myself, how did we get here? How did we get to a place so consumed with stuff and noise, and we seem to ignore problems right in front of our faces? How did we get here? What are indications of it? How do we learn another way? And in doing that, of all things, probably because I have a long history of volunteering in prisons, jails, I came across this March 24th, 2020, about a year ago, about when COVID started, report on mass incarceration in the United States. And, more importantly, what it means about us, about you and me, about our country, about why we are where we are. What are some things that this report found? It's pretty shocking think about it. So so listen close. So about a year ago when this report came out, in our criminal justice system, there were 2.3 million people in 1,833 state prisons, 110 federal prisons, 1,772 juvenile correctional facilities, 3,134 local jails, 218 immigration detention facilities, and 80 Indian county jails, as well as military prisons, civil commitment centers, state psychiatric hospitals, and prisons in U.S. territories. Now, that was just a picture of a day. That was 2.3 million people at that moment in time. But you gotta remember, people go in and out of jail. That isn't all the people that threw out a year. Every year, over 600,000 people go through the gates of a prison. But people go to jail 10.6 million times a year. Think about it. Now, a prison, you've been sentenced You're doing your time, but a jail, you've been arrested. You're waiting to be sentenced. You're waiting to go to trial. According to our court system, you're innocent, yet you're in jail. 10.6 million times a year, people go to jail. Now, all those numbers can get kind of overwhelming, staggering. When you compare it, though, to other countries, it really opens your eyes. Worldwide, now think about this, worldwide, whole world, the United States has 21% of the world's prisoners, but only 4.4% of the world's population. So what we like to think is the most advanced, moral, best place to live in the world, 21% of the world's prisoners are in our prisons. Now, what does that mean? You got to be careful about what it means. Does, Does that mean that we got more bad people than other places? Or does it just mean we hold them more accountable? Do we have more crime than other places? Or do we just hold people more accountable? Whatever it means, it's a lot of people. And this is where I get to the point of today's program. What should your response and my response be to the fact that every year, millions of people are either in prison or go to jail. Over 10 million a year. Which, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to the fact that we're only 4% of the world's population, yet we have 21% of the world's prison population? It's pretty overwhelming. What do you do with that? What do I do with that? Let me give you a couple of suggestions from the good book, which as you read them, come across me not as suggestions, but as you better be doing this if you want to be able to look in a mirror with a healthy conscience. From the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, What's a good way to know if the Spirit of the Lord is upon you? If you're living in your own ego and worldly things, or you're living in godly things, what do you do for the poor? What do you do for the least of us? If the answer is not much, something tells me your spirit tank is probably pretty low too. Because when the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, when you've been anointed, when you're following God, what does that mean? You're going to be eager to proclaim that freedom. If your life is filled with faith and it brings you freedom from sin and you feel it and you focus on the right things, why wouldn't you want to share that with people? Why wouldn't you want to share that with people who feel the least free, who are literally behind bars? I don't know how you couldn't. And if that's not in your heart and that's not in your life, you got to ask yourself... Where is the Spirit of God? Who am I following? What is important to me? Is it worldly things or is it godly things? If it's, is it things of the world that perish or is it things of the Spirit that never per- perish? Now, in Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Even more in your face. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, when you see all the prisons in your community, the jails, the prisons, the halfway houses. Your first question shouldn't be, what did all those people do wrong? What's wrong with them? Why do we need that? You know your first question should be? What am I doing for them? Because if you're not doing it for them, are you following Christ? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Think about it. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you don't believe in Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. But are you following? Let's read again the lesson. Our carpenter from Nazareth with teaching us. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So whatever you did for them, you did for Christ. But what if you did nothing for them? What if you walked past them? What if you put them out of sight? What if you derided them? What if you made fun of them? What if you just wanted to lock them away? You know how many teenagers get locked away? kids who have grown up with no parents, no father figure, no guidance, and we lock them away out of sight. That is more evil than anything those kids do. The horrendous way that we care for people in prison, people that start the road to prison, stains every part of our society. As you read that report that I mentioned earlier, most people are in prison, in jail for low-level crimes. Not having enough money to, you know, pay their bail so they keep them in prison after they do something. And then it escalates. What are we doing to show them another way? What are we doing for kids who grow up without a family? Who grew up in the hood? Who grew up surrounded by gangs? Don't assume you'd make much different decisions than them if you've been in the same environment. All those prisons to me is just us trying to hide from ourselves the responsibility that we all face to do something about it, to help the least of these, to do what Jesus told us to do. Much easier to put them behind bars and go, oh, they're scary people, they belong there. It's no different than the sexualization and commercialization of our culture that everyone participates and contributes to. Churchgoers and non-churchgoers, Republicans and Democrats, it's right in our face. We point fingers at people because we don't want to look in the mirror. Yet, we participate in Amazon and buy things made in China by slaves, which results in our downtowns being destroyed. But, oh, it's not our problem. You know, it's that person over there, with different politics with for me, it's, it's their problem. We watch TV shows that run commercials that sexualize almost anything and we let our kids sit next to it and watch it. But oh no, it's, it's your problem, it's not my problem. And we send millions of people to prison and do very little to help them and to rehabilitate and to change their lives. You know, one thing I realized all the years I spent time volunteering in prisons. Is for every man or woman you meet in there, there's a family. There's kids. There's someone that doesn't have a dad. There's someone that doesn't have a mom. What are we doing for those families? What happens if you grew up poor in the hood, your dad in prison, everybody you know's in gangs? Man, if someone doesn't go in there and show you a different way, how are you going to know another way? How are you going to know another way? Now people get out of that, but it's rare. And when they do, they've usually had help. There's usually been people that have given them direction. It's shameful. It's shameful. You know, there's some great ways to start. You can get frustrated and feel like you're powerless. You know, politics don't go the way you want them to go, the economy, the country. You can feel powerless. But there are things that you can do right now that make a difference, that can show people another way. And it can begin by volunteering in a prison. Being a big brother or a big sister to an at-risk kid who someday might be one of those millions of people that we just lock away. Go to some maximum security prison. Meet some man or woman that's been in there for 50 years and be their friend as they get ready to die with nobody around, no family, no friends that visit them. They will appreciate it. Like few people have appreciated anything you've ever done for somebody in your life. And I believe it'll change you. And I believe the more people that we change and take responsibility for what we do in our country by trying to put people out of sight and out of mind, the impact will be immense. It'll be immediate. It'll be in your community. It'll be where you live. So as you go about the rest of your day, I just want to say one more time, you know, most people that listen to this, you're Christian. If you're not, you're probably moral in some way. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Well, what are you doing for the one you say you follow? What are you doing? Until next time, my friends, aim high. Sometimes you aim high by helping people who are low. Spread your wings by giving others hope they can spread their wings. And keep your eyes on the things that matter. Who does Christ tell us that matters? Who are we told they matter? It's the person who is hungry. It's the person who needs food. It's the person who's thirsty and needs a drink. It is the stranger with nowhere to stay, and you invite him in. It is the poor person without clothes that you clothe, and it is the sick who can't get themselves to the doctor. It is those in prison who are hopeless with no ethnicity in them. Those are the things that matter. And when you focus on those things that matter, you'll better be able to focus on the things that matter directly to you. You'll be a better friend. You'll be a better husband, a better wife a better girlfriend, a better boyfriend, a better son, a better daughter. That's what happens when you focus on the things that matter. Things get in focus. So until tomorrow, that'll be Wednesday. I'm Silwan, and as always, peace. You've been listening to The Pilgrim's Odyssey. Make sure you comment, share, and like this podcast so all of us together can let our light shine. For books, videos, and more content from me your host please visit Silouan.com. That is Silouan, S-I-L-O-U-A-N.com. Until your next visit on the Pilgrim's Odyssey, I'm your guide on life's wild ride, Silouan Green.